Welcome again. We are, as I mentioned earlier, in a series on prayer. This is our second week, <clears throat> and um, I had my remote control, and I lost that. Can't find it, so I'm going to get some help um, from the back in terms of changing the slides. So if you go to that first one for me, please. So um, our series is called P for Prayer. Um, last week, we looked at um, 1P, which was, can somebody remind me? Presence, amen. This week, related, we're talking about petition. Um, so if you, if you have a Bible or you have an electronic device, you can turn to Genesis 18. Uh, you can meet me in there in a minute. Um, as you're turning, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you again. Um, last week, we got to be reminded of your wonderful presence and the fact that we can be present with you, <clears throat> the God who is ever present. And then on that basis, we can petition you. Um, it starts with just turning up, just recognizing your reality, recognizing and being aware of, of your presence. Um, then we have opportunity, Lord. Thank you. That today we get to talk about petitioning you, or at least part one of a series talking about petition. Lord, would you help us as we explore this topic today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, petition, this is part one. Um, now, we've been over the, at least since last week, been um, progressively highlighting just a number of passages um, that relate um, and describe prayer, <clears throat> that relate to and describe prayer. And what we want to do is we want to try and apply some of the principles in order that it might influence our practice. Again, I apologize because I'm a bit croaky. Still getting over this thing. Three weeks now, you know. It ain't no man flu. This is some next kind of flu. And um, so forgive me if I still sound a bit croaky. But we want to we wanna, we wanna, we wanna see principles um, that inform our, and influence our practice. Um, and our focus last week wasn't so much on individual prayer as much as it was on corporate prayer. Um, I think this week, the focus definitely is slightly more on individual um, discipline and prayer, but also it does relate to the corporate activity, which I'll come to a little bit later. <clears throat> and, um, and we essentially, especially us as a church, what we want to be doing is we want to see how does our prayer, how does our prayer lives impact and shape our church community, because we believe that to be the case. And, you know, we can read about prayer, we can hear sermons about prayer, um, we can talk about prayer and not actually pray. And, um, again, I'm going to try and come to some practical application in a moment. Now, we said last week that prayer was a hallmark of the early church. It was one of the things that identified them so wonderfully clearly. Um, and we said in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles devoted themselves to that practice of prayer. And in Acts chapter 2, we saw that it wasn't just the, the apostles or the elders or the leaders who were committed to prayer. The people were also committed to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers, young and old, rich and poor, male and female, <clears throat> all 3,000 of those new converts in Acts chapter 2 were all committed and devoted, was the word, to prayer. And we asked the question, are we devoted to prayer? Um, you're, you're here this week, let me ask you, are you devoted to prayer? Um, <clears throat> or should I say, are you devoted to God, which results in a life of prayer? 
So last week we said that the extent of our commitment is directly linked to the level of our devotion. Depending on how committed you are to something is linked to your devotion. <clears throat> and devotion to one thing often hinders your devotion to another. You can't be devoted to everything. You can be a fan of lots of things, but you can't be really a supporter of many. And I'm saying if you support a football team, how many football team you support? One, unless the ticket prices are really expensive like Arsenal, so I can't go to the, to, to the games and it's a 12 year waiting list to get onto, the, onto the, um, the season ticket list. So I go to Crystal Palace, which is our local club. I take the boys them to Crystal Palace because the tickets are much cheaper. So they're our second team, but we don't really support <laughs> Palace still. You know what I mean? You can't be devoted to more than... <clears throat> so where's your passion? Where's your, where's your zeal, your fervor, your avidness? Where do you direct, you know what I'm saying, your personal commitment? And like I said last week, if we were to... How you identify that is, you know what I'm saying, looking at the numbers that you call on your phone often. You know so looking at the web, so looking at your, your website history looking at your Twitter feed, looking at your Facebook, that begins to help us to understand what we're really, really devoted to. What you spend your money on, that helps us to see what we're really, really, really devoted to. You know what I mean? Now, <clears throat> not only was prayer a hallmark, we saw, of the, of the New Testament church, prayer was also the practice of God's people way back in the Old Testament, as we began to see illustrated when we looked a little bit at Genesis 18 last week in the life of Abraham. So last week we started to look at um, this Old Testament story to gain a principle that helps us in our practice of prayer. So hopefully you're in Genesis 18 now with me. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put the text up. I'm hoping that you're going to be able to look at it in your Bible or on your phone, on your iPad or whatever with me. But I'll put up the associated verses. We saw Abraham entertain three mysterious guests last week. Two, it seems like angels and the Lord himself. You see that quite clearly from the text. <clears throat> God visits Abraham. God is present with Abraham. Verse 2, we saw Abraham standing before the Lord. Abraham stood before the Lord in verse 22. Even drawing closer still in verse 23, the Lord was present with Abraham. But also Abraham was in the presence of the Lord. And we said that any conversation, any dialogue, any kind of interaction begins with being present or presenting ourselves before the Lord who is present. <laughs> then being present, like I said, now leads to our second message today. This whole issue of petition. Petition. After an initial conversation... Um, that God has with Abraham and also with Sarah, if you remember last week. Picking up the story in verse 17 of Genesis 18, God brings Abraham into his business. You know, like sometimes you're talking to someone and someone tries to lean over, like they want to hear what you're saying and want get to up, get up in your business and you just turn around and you're like, well, maybe you might not say it like this, but what you really mean is, you know, like mind your own business. I'm not talking, talk it's A and B, see your way out of this conversation. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <clears throat> but... God invites Abraham in this text into his business. You know what I'm saying? Which is what we began to see. Now, verse 17 of Genesis 18. Let me just read some of these verses. The Lord said, you know what? Remember, the Lord is walking away with the angels to go deal with Sodom. And the Lord stops as the angels continue to walk. And he turns and he says, how am I going to hide from my friend Abraham 
what I'm going to do. So the Lord turns around, and, and, and if you like, verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, in Abraham, through Abraham's seed, essentially. Verse 19, For I've chosen him that he may command his children, flashback to baby dedication for I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him verse 20 then the Lord said because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave now this is what the Lord is saying to Abraham now because the outcry from against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So this is the info that the Lord is sharing with Abraham. Like, this is what I'm going to go do. And I'm letting you know, Abraham. Just because I choose to let you know. Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Verse 22, verse 23, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed, Lord, sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the, 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 the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Verse 26, and the Lord said, all right. If I find, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now imagine the Lord is off to go and deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now because of Abraham's interaction, the Lord's like, okay, since you asked, if there's 50 righteous in the city, I won't go and destroy the city. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, look, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. You know, saying, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? Basically, if there's 45 in there. And the Lord says, okay, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Can you see the interaction between the Lord and between Abraham? Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. Then he said, Oh, let, uh, then the Lord answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, verse 32, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. The Lord answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now, I've got two points um, today. Last week was free. Two points, God's righteousness and justice revealed, verse 17 to 21, and then God's mercy and judgment revealed. There's a distinction between the two, verse 22 to 33. So to our first point, <clears throat> you can go to the next slide. Thank you, bro. God's righteousness and justice revealed, verse 17 to 20. I just read that section, but let's have a look at it. The big question is verse 23. 
Will God sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What do you think? You got me up here doing all the work. What do you think? I see some people shaking their heads. Okay, we got, I see some people nodding their heads. Will God sweep away the righteous with the wicked? <coughs> well, first of all, let me say, no, but he could have done. How many of you know, ultimately, who is wicked? Well, you know what? America is wicked. And I'm saying, you might, I don't know if you've been listening to the news quite recently. You see what's been happening in Hong Kong? You ask the Hong Kong people, they will say, you see the people's, what they call, the people's National Party? You see the Communist Party in China? I want wicked set of people. But they wouldn't say it like that. If you know you've got reggae music, you know you've got reggae, mu you got reggae music in China. You've got big sound systems in China. Um, the question is like, like who is, who is, who, the government is wicked. Like who, like, who is wicked? You see, the thing is, if, if, if you really check it, <clears throat> some people are more wicked than others, right? And some people are less wicked than others. But how many of you know everybody, in some way, shape, or form, is wicked? Would anyone disagree with that? Now, obviously, there's a spectrum, and a, you know what I'm saying? See, is, any, is there anyone who isn't guilty of evil by ultimate definition? Therefore, we all deserve to be swept away. Not just Sodom and Gomorrah and the people that are there, but all of us. Will God sweep away the righteous with the wicked in our story? He could have done. But how many of you know he doesn't or he didn't? And the miracle is that, is that anyone receives mercy. You know, often people ask the question, oh my gosh, you know, God, this God of the Bible, I'm really not feeling him. And I'm saying, how can, he, how can, how can a good God, how, 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 how can God, if he's good, send people to hell? That don't sound good to me, people would say. But really, you're asking the wrong questions, making the wrong statements. For me... When I understand that everyone's wicked, including like everyone in front and behind the pulpit, right? When I understand that, the question I ask isn't, boy, how could God send people to hell? Because I'd be like, right, you know what? Like people deserve judgment. Otherwise, no one deserves judgment. I mean, how many of you know, like, imagine, does everybody get to go to heaven? I mean, if, if everyone got to go to heaven, then heaven would be just as much hell as, as hell on earth. You know what I'm saying? My question ain't so much, boy, how can, God not, how can God send people to hell? My question is, how does God let anyone into heaven? The miracle is that anyone receives mercy instead of judgment, if we understand our sinfulness. Abraham, the very man praying for the deliverance of a guilty city, or guilty cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're two cities, right? The very man that's praying for them was guilty himself. But he had received mercy. You know what I'm saying? Remember Abraham previously, he was an idol worshiper in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is, which is ancient Babylon, modern day Iraq. That's where, that's where Abraham was from. But he found mercy and he found forgiveness. 
didn't he? Um, would, would we go to the next? Oh, it's, it's there already. Sorry, my bad. It's there already. Romans chapter 4 helps us. It says, what, shall we, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, this is a Jew speaking about Jews, right? This is Paul writing. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Or, Abraham received righteousness on the basis of him putting his faith in God or believing in God. It's a righteousness that came by faith, not by the works, verse 2. Verse 4, now to the one who works, like, like for righteousness, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the righteous... No, the ungodly. The ungodly can be justified or made righteous. <clears throat> His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 helps us to see that everybody has sinned and in some way, shape, fallen short of the glory of God. You'd be like, but there are some good people in the world. I know. It's like sitting and taking a test. Some people will get 70% in a test, you know, while other people will be getting 10% and 15%. But, but if the pass marks 100%, how many of you know everybody still failed? And, and, and the point of Romans 4 is saying, if you want to be righteous or you want to be right with God, how? You're ungodly. You're like, yeah, for real. How am I going to get this fixed? Even if I said I'm going to turn over a new page today, everything's going to change. I'm going to turn away from my sinful lifestyle. I'm going to stop shotting drugs. I'm going to stop sleeping with um, girls. I'm going, to, I'm going to change everything today. That sounds good. And that is good. But then what about the trail of, of disaster that I left in my wake? That's got to be dealt with as well. So you see what I'm saying when I say that we're in trouble? You know what I'm saying? We're all sinners. And we got to, somehow we've got to get that sin dealt with. And um, that's where the cross comes in. That's where the cross comes in. And, and so here in Romans 4, we're seeing that a man who was guilty was forgiven. His sins were covered, removed even. And now he's in a place where he can be praying for those who... We're in the same boat that he was prior to him being forgiven. Abraham, part of my point is, he knew he was a sinner. Did you hear him in verse 27 when he begins to have this, um, this exchange with the Lord? Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am what? Did you catch it in verse 27? He says, I, ha I, ha <coughs> I whom... I who am but dust and ashes. Did you hear him say that in verse 27? Uh, it's not up there because remember, I'm wanting you to look in your Bible or look at the text. And I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to do all the work. And, it, and sometimes it's just helpful for you to, to be able. He says, I who am but, what did he mean? I am but dust and ashes. Where have you heard that before? Adam in the book of Genesis, right? In Genesis 3, <clears throat> when Adam sinned and was condemned in the garden. Go to the next slide for me, bro. And again. 
for that verse comes up. Just one more click. Yeah, no. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Do you remember when Eve sinned and, 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 and Adam sinned and, and God calls them all out? And he speaks to Eve and he said, what happened? And, 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 and Eve was like, boy. No, no, sorry. It's, he started with Adam, but let me come back to Adam. It's like, Eve, what happened? Eve's like, boy, it's the serpent. The serpent, it's, it's his fault. He beguiled me. It ain't my fault. It's his fault. <laughs> All right? Blame shifting. And <coughs> but before the Lord came to Eve, he said, Adam, like, what's the deal? And Adam's like, boy, it's the woman. So it's her fault. But it's not just her fault. Women, where did she come from? It's the woman that you gave me. It's your fault. Right? All this blame shifting and finger pointing. And the Lord's like, safe. And the Lord says to Adam, here's my response to what you've done. And a part of it is you're going to have to um, to, um, till the, the ground. Uh, and then he gets to verse 9 and then he says, from which you came. Right? And he says, and you will return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for what? You are dust. And to dust you shall return. Abraham knows, like his forefather, Adam, that he was a sinner. And that he eventually would die. You see, dust to dust. I mean, you know how many funerals I've had to do? And I've had to say that. You, you, you get the dirt. As the, just, just as the coffin is, is dropped and you, you throw the dirt on the coffin and you say ashes to ashes and dust to dust. You know I'm saying from out of the ground you was taken, going back into the ground. And how many of you know every single one of us has got an appointment um, with death? And like a pension, you know what I'm saying, it does well for you to think about it before you get there. Abraham knows just like Adam, he's a sinner, and that he would eventually die. He knows his place as he approaches God, doesn't he? And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> so Abraham, although a sinner, deserving judgment, he received mercy on the basis of his faith. As we said, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you want to be righteous, there's only one source. There's only one place to receive that, and it's from the Lord Jesus, who did a divine exchange at the cross. He who was not guilty took our sins upon himself in order that we, the unrighteous, might receive his righteousness. That's why Jesus got what he got at the cross. I remember seeing that as a child when I was young. I remember mom, back in the day in the, in the, in the 70s, um, they used to show a film called Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell, like classic five-hour epic. They used, and every Easter they used to show it. And I remember as a child watching that film and not understanding fully. And one year, I remember it so distinctly, I remember seeing Jesus healing, helping, you know what I'm saying, like providing and just so wonderful. Like this, just. And then at the end, I saw them kill him. And not just kill him, but brutally scourge him. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, the scourging alone. I mean, it's a film I can't watch again. You know and I'm saying it's indelibly etched in my mind and my thinking. And, he's, and, and my man, he pans out and zooms up, and you see Jesus on the floor with about a, about a five meter radius of just blood, where it's been splattered, where they've ripped the flesh out of, off, it, off his back. And he ain't even got to the cross yet. 
but eventually he does, and he's nailed to the cross. And I remember watching this, not the Passion of the Christ, but the, the, the original Robert Powell one. And, and, and they, when I saw them crucify him, I just started bawling. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, why are they killing him? He didn't hurt anyone. If anything, it was the opposite. All he done was love and there's just compassion and kindness and forgiveness and mercy. I'm like, why are they doing this to him? Well, I never got the answer to that question fully until I was 22 years old. Sitting in a church, I heard the gospel. I heard, which is good news, especially if you're a sinner like me. And I heard that the reason why Jesus actually went to the cross wasn't for his own sins. Hebrews says, Jesus was tested and tempted in all points, yet without sin. The reason he went to the cross was for us, was for me. And sitting in that church, St. Mark's Kennington, 1989, the planets aligned. And I was like, oh, now I see why Jesus died. He actually died for my sins. And at that point, I was able to humbly receive his forgiveness. And that was the first day of the rest of my life. It's been, it's been 30 years now since that time. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. How many of you know, not only was Abraham a sinner, Lot also, you know what I'm saying, was a sinner. We know that. Man's like, like Abraham's like, look, let's stop fighting. Remember, let's stop fighting. You're, you're my nephew and this is mad. Abraham could have just pulled rank on him and said, you know what? You go over there, and I'm going to go over here. And Abraham could have took the nice land and gave Lot the bad land. No, Abraham said, look, the land's before us. You choose. And Lot, Lot's like, I'm going to choose the good land. What, I'm choosing, but that means I'm going to have to have the bad land. Abraham didn't say that, but that's what, that's what was happening. And, and, and Lot took the good land, but guess, guess, guess what the good land was? He looked on the horizon, and there was a blue haze over. The city was jumping. He thought, this is where I want to go. Sodom, you know what I'm saying? And that's where he ended up. Like from the, from the gate, my man, my man had very sinful proclivities. And again, not, 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 not unlike the rest of us. And, and, and it's crazy because although Lot was really sinful, you read about Lot, especially when he gets into the city and what happens to him later on in life. Um, Lot... In 2 Peter, it says that he was righteous, which is mad. I mean, Lot had issues, yet the text says he was righteous. How many of you find that comforting? Well, I do. It was, and, and it's crazy because Lot had issues, evidently. I might even list a few of them. Um, and, 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 and eventually, after... The, um, Abraham's praise for Lot and so on and, and stuff works itself out eventually you know the story the angels have to go in and get Lot out of there and it's crazy because as much as they get Lot they get Lot's family out of Sodom it seems like it's just as hard to get Sodom out of Lot's family and again it's just a it's just a it's a partial picture of us in the sense that you get saved. I talked about, yeah, I got saved in 1989. Thinking, yeah, I'm good now. Only to begin to realize how bad I actually was. And how much God had saved me from. And 30 years later, oh my gosh. You'd think, I got it. And I'm saying, it's like, I got this thing patterned. Far from it. 
It's kind of like every day. It's like, it seems like as you get older, you begin to understand and appreciate your sin even more than you did in the beginning. And someone said it's a little bit like drawing closer to the light over a process of time. <laughs> when you draw close to the light, you begin to really see what you look like. When you're all the way over here, you get a bit of a misinterpreted picture of what you're really like. So I'm like, I thank God for the story of Lot. Someone said, Sodom would have destroyed Lot if the Lord hadn't destroyed Sodom. How many of you as Christians can testify and say, you know what, that is so true. If the Lord don't deliver me from some of my issues, I'm finished. You know what I'm saying? I think that was Samson's testimony. Um, anyway. <clears throat> the men of the city, if you remember when um, the angels eventually end up getting there, <clears throat> they intimidatingly surround the house, remember? And they demand to sexually abuse Lot's guests. And these are the angels, you know, that have come to, to stay with Lot. And... And what's mad is, do you remember how, remember how Lot responds? Lot's like, no, please don't trouble the guests that I have in my house. He says, take my virgin daughters and do what you want with them. Again, going back to like baby dedication. Like what kind of father? What? What? I'm just saying, like Lot was really messed up. And he had been really, I mean, he'd gone into Sodom and Sodom had really kind of gotten into him. Yet he was righteous. Mad. <coughs> After this, again, the story goes on. Do you know that Lot's daughters end up having sex with... Got to keep it PG. Um, Lot's daughters end up having sex, like extra... Like, have, they have a thing with... And, 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 and it, just, it, just, it just gets worse. And I'm saying... And then the children that they have become Moab and... Is it the Amalekites? Moab and somebody help me. Amalek. And then they become the enemies of God. It's like it's just so messed up. But getting back to the point. Sodom was in a bad state. And this is, this is we're, talking, we're, 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 we're describing a righteous man in Sodom, let alone the rest of the community. How many of you know God's people had issues then, God's people have issues now. That's why we can't really be quick to point the finger. You know what I'm saying? Um, and may God help us to recognize our sinfulness before we we're quick to jump and point at somebody else's. Um, now, are things different today? Sodom was not a healthy environment, but before we jump on Lot's case, Sodom probably wasn't very dissimilar to somewhere like London. It's like, you know, you've got TV, you've got TV shows like Naked Attraction. It's like sometimes you have to really pinch yourself. I mean, praise God, some of you probably never even heard of that show. Praise the Lord if you haven't. Love Island, yeah, I got you there though, innit? <laughs> Love Island, you know. I, f I found out some new ones. I haven't even seen these ones. Heartbreak Holiday. Have you heard about that one? Heart I mean, listen to the title. Heartbreak. It's like, get ready to have your heart broken on this holiday. And then there's a, there's a next one. I saw this one. Was it yesterday? I think I saw this. Never even heard of it. Single town. Yo. 
And I see you've got these couples, and they mix them up if you've never seen them. You've got these couples, and somehow they've got some relationship history, and then they have to make a decision. And they put them either side of this big table, and they've got two boxes. One box has got a heart in it. One box has got nothing in it. And you've got the man on this side, and you've got the woman on that side. Sometimes it's not even a man and a woman. Sometimes it's the same sex. And then they've got this box, and I've got to now decide, do I want to stay with this person or not? If I do, I, reveal the, I, I, I pick the heart box, but I don't reveal it yet. And then they're over here, and they've got to do the same thing. And they've got to decide, am I going to pick this person, or am I not going to pick them? And then you see them. All right, they pick the box, and they say, all right, you ready for the reveal? And then they, oh, I've seen the thing one, listen, I don't watch this program. I've seen the thing one time, but I, was, I couldn't believe it. And they'll open the box, and if they both match, you know what I'm saying, the birds start tweeting. And, and if they don't, then it's peak, especially if one person reveals the heart and the other doesn't. It's a madness. And then, and then the, the night I watched it, both people opened up the hearts, and then the, the host says, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Why don't you just go and enjoy yourself now? Um, again, that's PG. Uh, it's like, it's just, it's like, I was, at, I, was at, I was at a wedding just last week. I think I mentioned it. And I was so, I was so challenged, you know what I'm saying, um, because there was a young man, I say young man, he was in his 30s, but he was getting married. And I cannot tell the last wedding that I've been to that wasn't like Christian, like two people really committed to the Lord and wanted to get married. Seems like marriages are just few and far between. Not that they don't happen, but I'm, I hadn't been to. So it, it, I went to this wedding, and, and the, the people that were getting married weren't Christians. And I thought, Lord, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm an uncle, you know what I'm saying? It's like my family, and I felt like I had liberty to say something. I had to say something, you know what I mean? Obviously, I can't go up there. I'm a preacher. I can't go up there and preach. But I thought I had to say, Lord, I have to give me something. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and then eventually it come. And it was a quick wedding, like very unlike our weddings traditionally. Um, it started at 12. It was a 20-minute ceremony. If you blink, you miss the ceremony. <laughs> and, and I'm not even... And, and by, by 4 o'clock, everybody was sitting down ready to eat. I was like... It was still bright outside. And, and then they got to the speeches. And listen, the speeches were... like Even an MC was like, listen, you got two, you got two to three minutes. And... Nearly everybody stuck to it. And then they, oh, and I thought, oh, are they, oh, they going to open it up? Um, let, let me get the, 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 the coffee, please, bro. Um, are they going to open it up? And I'm sitting there, and they open it up. And I'm not a man normally will push up myself. If you know me, I'm happy to just stay in the back and just call. But I thought, this is my chance. And, 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 they, and I, I was the first one to put my hand up, went up front, grabbed the mic, and I was able to say, you know what? In our communities, right, we're experiencing a lot of brokenness. And today's a, a wonderful thing. I said, look, we've got, we got a man getting married to a woman. And I said, this is so unusual because part of the brokenness that we experience in our families, like I said in the baby dedication, part of the, part of the, part of the reason we have this is because is of fatherlessness. But then I had to take that back and I said, you know what? That's, that's a misnomer. There's no such thing as fatherlessness. How many of you know every child has got a father? It's just that the fathers don't really recognize that. 
and they don't really care about their kids. And, I, and, and, and that's a tragedy. But not only do they not care about their kids, part of what is that's linked to is the men are not committed to their women. And, it, and as silent as this now, it was as silent as this. And I thought, boy, Lord, help me to break the ice a little bit. <laughs> and I said, and I said, you know, I said, fellas, hear the thing, yeah? I said, your girl, she wants to, she wants to say yes to the dress. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of eased the tension a little bit in the room. And, and you know, the ladies be like, yeah, amen, like prayer. I mean, <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> and I said, hear what? And I turned to my, to my nephew and I said, for 37 years, I said, turned to him, I said, listen, let me tell you something, right? I said, there's a difference between being male and there's a difference between being a man. There's a difference between, and, and, and you know what they say? They say the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. That's true. But let me say something that's more true. The difference between being a male and a man, any male can satisfy a woman for one night. But it takes a man to satisfy a woman for a lifetime. And I, try, and I said that to my... Now, I said all of that to say, you know, we, like, we are living in desperately wicked times. We're living in perilous times. And even to communicate that to some people, that's like, what are you talking about, man? But I'm encouraging you, you know what I'm saying, to take that message that's impacted your life and to share it with others. And may God help us in the way that we do that. You know what I mean? Now, I'm talking about us responding to the people. Really, I want to get back to the point, which is us really responding to God in view of, you know what I'm saying, others in view of those that we are surrounded by you know what I'm saying and I'm quick to confess that if God never saved me in 1989 you know what I'm saying all that, that I just talked about all of that travesty and you know what I'm saying like the, 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 the litany of of havoc that I would have wreaked as a man you know what I'm saying because it's not that people don't it's not that people don't want relationships all of them programs that I just talked about illustrate that everybody wants to be in a relationship of some, you know, some form. The issue is people want to do it their way. They don't want to do it God's way. And the thing is, if you don't do it God's way, brace yourself. And so many of us, like my testimony is that I'm coming from a broken home. You know what I mean? And I felt the pain of having a dad that did not care. I remember seeing my dad maybe three times in my life. And, and, and at least two of those times, he was knocking my mum down the stairs. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Sean, Sean and Jenny in here. May God help you guys, you know what I'm saying? You, you know, young married couple, young children, and so many of us are here in the room, you know what I'm saying? May God help you to choose his way as opposed to the way of the world. Now... <clears throat> Um, so much of this I'm not going to be able to do now because time's gone. Thank the Lord I can probably pick up some of this next week. Um, yeah, contrary to what I would normally do, put you through the pain and torture of going another, at least another half an hour, 45 minutes. I'm going to stop there. And, <clears throat> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll put one challenge to us and, and then we'll pray. 
we're talking about prayer, fundamentally. And one of the things we'll pick up next week is this, this issue of petitioning um, slash intercession. I think next week we'll talk about the fact that there's a distinction between petition and intercession. But both of them are speaking to God. You know what I'm saying? Petition is pretty much you asking for like my daily bread, Lord. Would you, would you help me, Lord? I'm struggling, Lord. That's petition, particularly and specifically. Intercession is not me praying for me. It's like Mike, you know what I'm saying earlier, praying for our sister Fiona. Intercession is where you stand in the gap and you pray for someone else, just like Abraham was standing and praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, as well as his nephew. Notice there was a distinct. He could have just prayed for his nephew. He didn't. He actually prayed for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, as well as obviously his nephew. My challenge to us is, you know what I'm saying? One, we're talking about prayer. Are you praying? I'm, I'm preaching this stuff. I'm challenged myself. Imagine, I'm having to preach this daily. I feel like every time I'm thinking of an illustration or thinking about the text, I'm thinking about this. I feel like the Lord saying, boy, you're doing a lot of thinking about prayer. Like, what are you saying? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, all right. You know what I'm saying? And I just have to go find a little spot and begin to kind of pray myself. I'm, I, I'm uh, you know, I, uh, I don't think any preacher ever has arrived at the point where, you know I'm saying, they've arrived at sinless perfection. I just shatter that because, you know, sometimes preachers get raised above their station. I'm saying that, you know what I mean? This is, this, I'm, I'm as challenged as I'm challenging you, you know what I'm saying? What does your prayer life look like? And if we were to look at it, does it involve this element of praying for others? You know what I'm saying? Does it involve that element? And um, next week, I've got some banging illustrate. That's why I'm not going to try and rush them today or force them. I've got some really good, that absolutely tremendously helped me to motivate and encourage me to pray for others. And I'll share those next week. But we are meeting, as Mike said, on a Tuesday night now, just here, um, to pray. And one of the things that, we want to do this week is we want to think a little bit more, not so much about ourselves, but about others. How can we be praying for others? So if you intend to come on Tuesday night, know that that's what we're praying. You can prepare yourself. We're going we're gonna to see if we can do like Abraham, and I'm saying, and begin to pray um, for our current context. A lot of the stuff that I just raised, um, but also a, a multiplicity of others. Um, so would you join with me as I now pray to conclude? Father... <clears throat> <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you that we see, at least from um, this first point that we were going to look at, your righteousness and your justice revealed. Lord, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but the whole earth deserved your judgment. And we see that happen. Even a little later in, in the time of, a little early in the time of Noah. And you brought destruction. It was water then. Um, but Lord, in Peter it says that that was a picture of something that you're going to do in the future. And when you bring destruction in the future, it won't be water. It will be by fire. And, 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 and your righteous indignation is completely justified. Lord, I'm surprised that you haven't wrapped this thing up already. 
yeah, as well as your righteousness and your justice, Lord, we see your mercy revealed. And that in the life of the Lord Jesus, the one who came, who didn't deserve to be horrendously treated, who didn't deserve judgment, received it. And in order that we might receive forgiveness. He who knew no sin was made sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, through him, because of him, because of Jesus. And Father, as we look at the Lord Jesus and see how he was ill-treated for our benefit, Lord, we're supposed to have that same heart and mind. Jesus from the cross didn't say, safe, so this is how you lot want to do me. I made you. I've provided you with sunshine and water and rain and food and family. And this is how you want to do me. Safe. Wait till I come back. Father, Jesus didn't say that from the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know fully what they're doing. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to have that same attitude. Imagine, not just to those that are our neighbors or our friends or our work colleagues, the people that we get on with. Lord, Jesus did that to his enemies. How can we have any excuse for not loving our neighbor as we love ourselves when we look at the life of Jesus? Father, I pray that you'd help us to be impacted by that. And not just impacted by it, but moved to action. Lord, that we would be moved to pray for our city, pray for our town, pray for our community, pray for our families, Lord, who are in quote-unquote Sodom and Gomorrah. They're on a sinking ship, they're on the Titanic, and it's going down. Lord, move us, I pray, to respond in prayer to that end. And Lord, I pray for anyone who might be here today who's never ever heard this message or heard this message in kind of bits and pieces and um, may have been impacted today, Lord, and have never prayed. Father, maybe someone might be, might be moved by the death of Jesus and him sacrificing his life. Maybe somebody might be moved to speak to you for the first time today. And I thank you, Father. You're not going to despise that prayer as simple as it may be. If it comes from a heart of repentance that says, I realize that I'm a sinner and I deserve the judgment that Jesus got. Father, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Make me your child. Bring me into your family. And then, Father, that might start a wonderful journey of them interceding for others in the way that maybe someone has interceded for them to them for them today. Lord, I commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.